The Art of Beekeeping, Episode 4. This is Chad at Talcatch Farm coming to you from uh, the beautiful deep south. It's a little cold today. Well, at night it's cold. It's not too bad during the day, but a little colder than I like anyway. Um, the bees were flying around this morning. Not early this morning, but, um, oh, I don't know, around 10 o'clock it warmed up enough. And uh, I've seen them out and about, but... I think when I woke up, it was around 26 degrees, so it's cold to me. I know I know to a lot of y'all out there, that's not that cold, but I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not too uh, keen on the cold. And it's you know, the older I get, the more I get like that. But anyway, today's topic is honeybee biology, and that is something that will probably bore some you know if you're already a beekeeper and have been for a while you probably know all this if you are new to this uh you may get something out of it and maybe you'll get something out of it even if you've been keeping bees for a while i'm not going to go into too much detail in a lot of this but sort of the the general information that you want to know if you decided you want to keep bees um okay so where to start on this Okay, so the basics are there are three different kinds of bees in the hive. Uh, probably everybody already knows this, but we'll just start at the most basic level and see how far we get. Okay, so in a colony, three different kinds of bees. You got, you got drones, which are males. You got workers, which are females. And you got queens, which of course are females. And... Uh, I guess we could, you know, if you approach this, like which came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing, let's start with the chicken. Um, let's start with the chicken laying the egg. So that might make it easier, okay? Uh, the chicken in our case will be the queen. So let's start with the queen laying an egg. Um, let's back up and start with the queen, actually, a, a new virgin queen. Before she lays those eggs, she will need to mate and let's let's uh, go over some of that. Okay, so you've got a virgin queen that has emerged recently. She is um, at some point she's going to leave the colony to go out to mate. Um, somewhere out there is an area called the drone congregation area, and that is where drones from other colonies will congregate. <clears throat> they call this the DCA for short. And uh, I know that's not the most creative name, but that's what they call it. And it's just what it sounds like. A bunch of drones congregating in an area. This is up in the air. Uh, they're, they're flying, right? Okay, so our queen, she's going to leave, go there, fly into the DCA, 
and a drone will catch up with her. He will basically mount her. He will mate with her by inserting his endophallus into her. I think you can figure out what that is. Endo, because this is, it's actually kind of big, you know. Uh, it's not something you would see, though. Endo says, you know, indicates that it is, uh, you know, not not obvious, right? It's, it's inside. But he will insert his endophallus. Uh, the, it will deposit sperm. And she will store that sperm in a organ called the spermatheca. Okay. That drone, basically, uh, just to make this simple, he, he loses his endophallus at that point. It comes off, stays in the queen. Uh, he drops to the ground, and he dies. And, you know, something like, uh, what's that song? Love Hurts by Nazareth, probably playing in the background, all right? Okay, so she's still flying. <clears throat> she now has what we refer to as a mating sign still with her, which is really the drone's endophallus. Um, that's handy for the next drone. That just makes it easier for him to see. It actually makes her even more attractive, and uh, he will catch up our new our new drone and he will remove that endophallus and mate with the queen and she will in the same process basically breaks off he falls to the ground and dies and yay right um so she will do this with it could be 10 20 25 drones before she is through Okay, now our queen is going to fly back to her colony. And you may ask, won't she, who took out the last endophallus, right? The last mating sign. And uh, by the way, that's, I, I assume, because you can't actually see this um, in the queen when she, re when she returns to the colony, uh, I assume that's why they began at some point calling that a mating sign because you could tell that your queen was actually mated. But anyway, so she's still, you know, somebody had to mate last, right? Okay, well, when she flies back to the colony, she's still got the, the one from the last drum, and the workers will remove that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, sorry, my voice is going out. Um, so... She will, like I said, she'll mate with about 10, 20 or so drones. She'll only mate once or twice in her life. She's, you know, I mean, flying out to mate. She'll, she'll do, I think on average it's once, but she may do it again. That's, that's enough sperm to last her. Um, she will store that, as I said, in an organ called the spermatheca. This uh, spermatheca has what's called a tracheal net over it, and that allows um, oxygen to pass through so that the sperm can be oxygenated, which it needs in order to remain viable. Uh, does, doesn't need any cryo, cryogenic, can't talk, cryo, <laughs> doesn't need to be frozen. God, I don't know what's wrong with me today. Um, and uh, 
she will actually push out most of the sperm that she was inseminated with and she will retain about as much as would that you would get from one drone and that's what she stores and now it's not one it's not from one drone but it's about that amount it's from several of course <clears throat> okay so she she flies back she's mated stored sperm okay now we're ready to lay she, she's ready to lay her eggs now we're we're back to the chicken and egg thing okay so queens uh this is kind of cool they have the ability to determine upon laying whether or not their eggs are going to be fertilized or unfertilized if it is unfertilized that we call that haploid meaning it's only got uh one set of chromosomes or half a set um in this case from the eggs correct um if it is unfertilized it's haploid contains half the set and those become drones those are the males if we go the other way and she fertilizes the eggs they can become either workers or queens now <clears throat> You may say to yourself, how, how does that happen? How does it, how does it determine what, that it becomes either a worker or a queen? Um, what does it is an environmental cue. And in this case, the cue is actually the amount of feed that the larvae are fed once they hatch. If it is determined that that is going to be a... Um, if the colony says we want that to become a queen cell, then the workers will feed it a ton of food, which is called ro royal jelly. And they will, and now the queen cell is different too. Um, they will build a queen cell around that and it is um, vertical to the comb. Looks kind of like a peanut, it's pretty long. And um they will just feed it tons there is a, a little bit of difference in the kind of food or the or the quality of the food compared to a worker but mostly it's just the amount and if they decide if it's just going to be a worker and it's just in a regular you know regular cell in the comb um you know horizontal to the comb then it is fed, uh, I don't know if I'd say starving amount, but it's fed a lot less. It's fed enough, let's just say that. <clears throat> and those are going to become workers. So either way, they're, they're females. Now, I know that sounds weird um, because you would say, hold on. <clears throat> so you would say, well, what does that? Um, that's kind of weird because it's just... It's, it's weird if you know what a queen looks like or anything at all about a queen, I guess. Because here you have a... If you're comparing a worker and a queen, they're different in just about every way. They look totally different. Uh, they, they look like they could be totally different bees altogether. 
so they're different morphologically. Their behavior is different. They have totally different life. Um, you know what what each one does throughout its life, and they are different uh, behaviorally. They are different. Their timeline or their their um, how long they live is completely different. A queen, on average, lives something like two to three years. That's what the books say. I think most of the time it's probably less than that. But they can live longer than that, too. Um, whereas a worker doesn't live near that long. Um, so they're just different in every way. And this is, you know, kind of interesting because genetically they're identical. They could be, that egg could become either one of those things. And they're just so drastically different. Well, the, that process is something we call epigenetics. And it happens uh, in lots of organisms, in, including us. And there's all sorts of environmental cues of how this could happen. And what's really going on there is that the cue, whatever it may be, it could be temperature, it could be the amount of food, or in the case of humans, it could be, um, you know, something like trauma. Um, but at the genetic level, what's happening is there are, we'll just say that there are things attached to the DNA, uh, to make it simple, that turn on or turn off particular genes. And those genes are the turning off and the turning on of different ones is what leads to uh, drastically different organisms or drastically different outcomes. So that's what's going on there. Okay, so drones, workers, queens, kind of laid that out. Let's talk more about the queen. Uh, queen in her egg, or in her, in her egg, in her lifetime, which I said is about two to three years on average, and uh, as I also said, it's probably shorter than that. I think for most people, um, a lot of people aren't aware of the turnover rate. I think, but at the same time, uh, there are people that do keep up with that thing, and some do last longer than that. But um, and here in the states, I don't know if it's everywhere. Queen quality has declined, including their lifespan. And there are different reasons for that. I don't know if anybody's actually pinned it all down yet, but that's something that a lot of people uh, concentrate on. She may lay up, you know, 500,000 eggs over her entire life. Um, she will produce uh, something, a pheromone called a queen substance, or queen, it's just called queen substance. Um, she produces this from her uh, mandibular glands. And this is, um, as I said, is a pheromone, and it keeps workers from laying eggs. Um, all these pheromones work in all sorts of different ways. They work, it's a, it's a form of uh, communication within the colony. And that uh, plays a role in sort of keeping everything in check, keeps the workers from laying eggs, which they can do, but they'll be drones. Um, and doing that 
limits any sort of supersedure behavior. When she lays these eggs, she will sort of lay them kind of in a spiral uh, from the center of the brood nest and go outward. And if you were to take a cross section of uh, a, a honeybee nest, that's kind of what you see is a sort of a, a center of brood. Sort of outside that, you'll see pollen, and then outside of that, you'll see honey and nectar. And then as you move out, you know, towards the sides, if you think of it in a hive, uh, you'll find more honey. <clears throat> honey storage, you know, on the outside. You got to remember our hives are just, they're for our benefit. Um, yeah, if you can make your, you know, make your brain see, take away all those frames and everything and look at it, how it would, how it would exist in a tree or something like that it'll still retain those patterns. They just won't have the, you know, the remove, they won't lay comb exactly like that. But it's, you know, something like a ball, <clears throat> sort of like a flattened ball tends to be what the, uh, the nest looks like. So, uh, that's about it for the queen. She actually has kind of a boring life when you think about it. Um, she mates, she lays eggs, she keeps the hive in check. Uh, the drones, mm, they may be even more boring uh, for them, I, I'm guessing, but their only job really is to mate with the queens, and they do contribute to uh, warming, cooling of the hive. Um, what else could I say about them? Uh, they do the same things that uh, workers do. They take orientation flights. They will spend some time in the afternoons, usually at the drone congregation areas that we talked about. And of course they, you know, they, um, they provide genetics, genetic traits that, um, you know, that only they carry out, you know, some of the uh, hygienic behavior some of the genes responsible for that is on the drone side. Uh, most of them don't get a chance to mate. Um, but, you know, that's, that's about all I think I can say about them. Uh, you, you probably have heard that the drones do get kicked out. <clears throat> if, if you're going into winter, sometime in the fall, the drones will get kicked out of the hive because you know they they would be consuming food the, the hive will shrink the colony will shrink overall anyway going into winter but any extra mouths of drones which aren't contributing to anything um, from the colony standpoint is unnecessary so they will get the boot uh workers have a little bit more interesting uh, <coughs> excuse me a little more interesting life I'm trying to get a drink here. Keep my mouth going. Um, so, so um, if the queen's failing for some reason, or she's just got eaten or something like that, um, the pheromone that keeps them in check will be gone, and 
the workers can lay eggs, but like I said, they will be unfertilized eggs, so they will be drones. So they do have the capability to do that. Um, they, they go through a process of having different jobs throughout their, their lifetime. Uh, I should probably go over some of the, you know, we, we usually refer to as beekeeping math. And that is the timelines on the different cast of bees. Um, probably don't need to go into too much detail, but just know that there are different, um, um, what am I trying to say? There's different, it takes different timelines for development for each cast. So a worker bee, <clears throat> a worker bee will develop in about 21 days drones in about 24 days and queens in about 16 days and of course that kind of makes sense when you think about it because um you got to have a queen you got to have a queen you got to have you know somebody laying eggs for everything to function properly so the queen um if you need one you got to have it quickly and that's hence the 16 days of development which is short shorter than the rest drones being the longest which you may you know, need less, I guess you could argue, because, you know, the, she's mating with drones outside of her colony, right? Um, worker bees, 21 days, and they go through, that's what I was getting ready to talk about now, remembering. Um, they, I'm trying to remember the, the correct term for this, and it's, um, I'm losing it right now, but it's, um, uh, God, why can't I think of it? It's, uh, it's usually, usually referred to as age related activity or something like that. Age related jobs, I guess. Uh, polyethism. That's what it is. Temporal polyethism. Uh, but anyways, just a fancy word for, for, uh, at different stages of their life, they will do different jobs, right? So, one of the first jobs a worker bee will do is cleaning cells. And, you know, a couple days after that, it's going to be keeping brood warm. Then a day or two after that, it's going to be feeding larvae, feeding older larvae, and then feeding younger larvae. And, you know, like on day 12, it's producing wax. And on day 13, it's building comb. 14 to, fix, 14 to 17 days, it's transporting, transporting food within the hive. Um, then it becomes an undertaker, take it, taking out the dead. <clears throat> you know, that's the, one of the things you'll see is bees hauling out their dead um, or just tidying up in general. Uh, you know, at 20 or 21 days, they're going to become guard bees. And at 22 or so, roundabout, they're going to become foragers. <clears throat> now, it should be noted that these um, chores that these bees do, it's not real rigid. It, it is most for the most part, but um, you got to keep in mind that it's, it's something that is, um, there's some plasticity to it. If a colony is in need of bees doing other jobs and they're just not at that age yet to do them, 
they can skip over and do those or they can revert back to do whatever job is needed for the colony. This has been shown in experiments where, um, you know, if you start with bees all of the same age in a colony, you would think there's no way they could make it. The colony would crash because they don't have bees doing all of those different jobs, right? You have to have different uh, stages of maturity to have everybody doing doing everything. They can, they can accommodate themselves. They'll sense of, they'll pick up on what it is they need and then they will um, make those accommodations and bees will begin, you know, they'll skip certain jobs to do other jobs. <clears throat> so maybe go over, we'll go over some of the uh, chores or these jobs that these uh, worker bees do. Okay, so cleaning the cells is one of the, that's like the first thing they do. Not a whole lot to say about that other than they're, they're usually cleaning the brood portion of the nest. <clears throat> um, you'll just, uh, you know, see their head poking in and out of the cells, just sort of tidying it up. Uh, from then, they'll go into being nurse bees and caring for the brood. They'll do this at about uh, six days after they emerge and they'll begin feeding the uh, youngest larvae ro royal jelly. Um, you know, after that, they'll, they'll um, basically become honey producers or, you know, or sort of uh, nectar ripeners. And uh, you'll see these, these uh, workers, you know, receiving nectar from the foragers as they're coming in and their job is to uh well you know maybe i should say that because it's something i think a lot of people take for granted when the foragers come in uh, for the longest time people thought well they're just coming in and then they take the nectar put it into the cell and either they do the next job or um uh, somebody else takes over from then, but they're actually handing off that nectar <clears throat> to the foragers. I mean, to the, um, the, the other bees when they get there, the foragers hand, hand the nectar over. And these, um, nectar ripeners, you know, um, I'm not sure I'm kind of blanking out on what to call them at the moment, but they will, they'll, uh, go through a process of evaporating out they'll call it, it's called active evaporation and they will turn this is just to turn the nectar into honey and what they'll do is they'll um, ingest the nectar and then they'll mix it with enzymes and then they'll blow bubbles out and they're mixing this nectar up with the enzymes and um, after about 20 minutes or so of that the, the nectar will be placed in inside the cell and then it'll undergo passive evaporation and that's just um, fanning and all that you know with the wings to evaporate moisture out of the honey to get it to the, the, <clears throat> the desired moisture content um, and then they'll, they'll cap it and the bees just know they know when it's uh, right and that's once you cap it, it's ready to go, and that honey will be good for a long time. And of course, 
then you'll come along sometime and take part of that. Um, pollen storage, that's one of the things. Um, wax producers, I think that's about day 12. Uh, you'll see this with your bees like on, on the underside of their abdomen. They'll have like these little flakes. And sometimes people, I've seen on, I don't remember, maybe Facebook or something like that, people will uh, put pictures up and it's like, what is this? You know, my, my bee's got something on it. Uh, or they'll think they're sick or they'll think maybe it's a parasite or something like that. But that's just wax. And if you pay attention when you're working with wax, you'll notice it. you can actually see the flakes um, sometimes when you're working with wax. Um, but they, they secrete that wax from these glands. And uh, that's, that's just how it secretes out. It it's, uh, comes out in sort of like these little layers, like little sheets. And they'll mix that. You know, they'll, they'll take it off. They'll remove it. They'll mix it with saliva. And then they'll manipulate it with their mandibles. And at that point, they'll start... Uh, shaping it, making it into comb, or they'll make it into, uh, you know, caps, caps to cap the uh, cells. Um, let's see, so that's about, it's about day 12. When they're about 18 days old, uh, they'll begin taking orientation flights. And uh, they'll do this using landmarks and things like that. And what they, what they really do is they'll fly out of, out of the hive and sort of take note of certain things like landmarks. And then they'll fly back in and then they'll fly back out a little farther and then they'll fly back in and then they'll keep that process up. And they'll take these little circling flights around the hive until they sort of, uh, you know, orientated themselves. And uh, it's at this point where you get... Uh, drifting, they call it. <clears throat> this is just bees that just go back to the wrong home. They just uh, go back to the wrong hive. And, uh, you know, that's one reason why sometimes when you're splitting a hive or something like that, you can add landmarks and make it a little more obvious for them. Um, anyway, that, I won't get too far into that, but that's, that's a a problem that can come up with uh, certain jobs you may have to do later on. And the guards. Okay, so the guard bees I was talking about. They, um, you'll notice these guys. These are the ones that are known for stinging you if you're messing around with the entrance of a hive. And if you look and pay attention, you'll you can kind of tell who they are. <clears throat> they'll they'll kind of look like they're sitting down or like they're kind of reared up, like their their front legs will kind of be up off the uh, off the ground and they're, they're setting at the you know the uh, the landing board at the front of the entrance and what they what they do is basically smell everybody when they come in um, if you know each hive smells different and each forager coming out of that hive is going to smell a little different and the guard bees will uh, recognize that and so basically they insist that everybody check in with them when they're returning to the hive um, you know they defend against predators you know pests robbers uh, robbers can be other honeybees they can be 
a completely different other species. But whatever the case is, the guard bees are there to keep things in order and go after anybody who should not be there. Okay, so finally they graduate to foragers, and that's at about 21 days or, or older. And the foragers do all the things that we think about when we think about honeybees, um, you know, collecting pollen and nectar. Uh, if you don't know, the pollen is the protein source, and the nectar is the carbohydrate source. So think of, think of you know, pollen is like their meat, you know, if it's an analogy to us, and the nectar is, you know, whatever, carbohydrates we eat, rice, right, bread. Uh, but they also collect other things. They collect water, which is necessary for, you know, hydration. They're, like anything else, they need water. They also use it to cool the hive by, by evaporation. Uh, they will collect propolis, and they do that by uh, collecting tree resin. And I think a propolis is kind of like the kind of like a skin for the hive. It's like the first line of defense. It's got a lot of neat things in it that it's not just sticky stuff. Uh, it's also an antimicrobial. And I, I think you know some colonies produce tons of it, some not so much. And beekeepers usually hate it. <clears throat> especially if you get a colony that produces a ton of it because it will seal up everything. Uh, that's what it's designed to do. But um, a lot of people will tell you that how much propolis a hive produces is kind of proportionate to how healthy they are. <clears throat> but it's a good thing. I you can't help but curse it sometimes because you get it on your hands and your clothes and it's, it can be difficult to get off. But um, I typically see it as a sign of health if they're producing a lot of good propolis. A lot of people use that for um, tinctures and things like that too. I think like sore, you know, sore throat sprays, things like that. I'll tell you what though, it is hard to dissolve. It um, You got to use... You know, like, uh, God, I, I am not, my brain is not working today. Um, like pure ethanol. I can't even think of what it's called now. Um, okay, swarming. So swarming is kind of a cool deal. If you're going to talk about reproduction of a hive, you have to talk, you have to talk about swarming because uh, it's not... You know, it's not what people typically think. It's not, or when you hear swarming on the news or something like that, it's usually people talking about, oh, these angry bees were coming after me or something like that. And that's not really the case. It's swarming is like the reproduction at the hive level, at the colony level. Um, I'm trying to think of how to say this. So... We talked about bee reproduction, but you have to talk about colony reproduction because it is an organism unto itself. So honeybees, among other things like um, <clears throat> ants or termites, are what we call 
superorganisms. And that's just uh, referring to, um, I don't know, it's like a, like a dichotomy. You have to think of them, you have to think of the colonies themselves of the organism because they behave that way. If you think about a bee, it's cold-blooded, right? It can't warm itself up. It's got to assume the temperature of whatever it is outside. However, a, a colony is warm-blooded. Uh, a colony will maintain the temperature that it wants to maintain. Uh, a swarm is that colony giving birth. It is a reproduction of that colony. And that's why it's so hard to stop, right? That's why. Um, what was that line? from uh, the movie life life finds a way or life will find a way <clears throat> yeah that's why people always complain about trying to, it's how, how hard it is to control swarming it's because it's basically sex i kind of think of it as think of it as uh, like budding off kind of like in yeast reproduction it's almost like they just pinch off a new colony <clears throat> and um, i think we'll cover swarming maybe in a, another one but uh, so we can get deeper into that. But basically what it is, is part of the colony will leave with the old queen and the colony produces a new queen. And they will do this, <clears throat> you know, many times. Um, if you're lucky, uh, that, that swarm will go someplace where you can go and retrieve it, put it in a box and have a whole new colony. Uh, unfortunately, for some of us who live among the pines, uh, they will go way up in those, and it's hardly worth the effort to get them down. But if you, you know what you try to do is to stay on top of it, so that you don't have to, you don't have that problem. But that's not always something you can do. And I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I've been in the bee yard many times, and I just look over and <laughs> see, you know, like the the third swarm. And uh, it can be discouraging because he's just like, man, it's like uh, every every time you think, well, I'll, I lost two, then there's another one and another one. And we're just about at that time of year, we will be soon, where that is just like, they're just swarming like crazy. And um, that's why you got to be on top of it, make your splits and do all that stuff. It's a great time of year because, man, you can... If you're trying to make splits, you can get away with a lot because they are just driven to uh, reproduce. Um, what else should we cover? I think that's about it. Uh, I'm, there's a few things here that I could go over, but I think I'm going to save some of those for later. Uh, we could talk about uh, thermoregulation, maybe. Or... Everybody likes to talk about the honeybee dance. There's lot, there's actually more, you know, there's not just one dance, but um, communication, honeybee communication or language. That might be a good one. But um, I think I'm going to cut it off there. I realize that's, like I said, I don't, I think if you're a long-term beekeeper, you probably didn't get too much out of that, but um, a beginner might. 
each one of those things that I was talking about, you can go deeper. There's a whole whole lot of things you can go into, obviously. But um, if you are just getting into this and you feel like, all oh, that's a lot to learn, there's a lot of that you don't really need to know right off the bat. You'll You'll learn it <clears throat> over time. But one of the things I would say to do is to uh, search online, <clears throat> just put in the search engine beekeeping math or something like that. Um, you will get all kinds of tables that will give you the developmental times for the different cast in a hive. So like a queen worker in drones, you'll get how, how many days it is till the eggs hatch, how many days it is till they are capped, how many days it is till each one emerges, and like with the case of uh, queens, how many days, none of these are exact, but they're, you know, close. How many days till they um, begin laying? And so for example, said so the queen will emerge at about 16 days. She will begin laying at about 28 days, you know, plus or minus about five days. And with the worker, you know, it's about 20, 21 days till they emerge. And then they begin foraging at about 42 days, give or take about a week. And then with the drones, uh, how, you know, what was that, 24 days till they emerge about, they will begin flying to the drone congregation area at about uh, 38, <clears throat> excuse me, 38 days. And these things are, they will become important for you to know because those kind of things you maybe maybe not right away but they will help you manage your hives um i won't i don't think i'm going to get into too much of that yet but um knowing how long it is till a queen emerges and knowing like if you see a queen cell and uh, it, it whether or not it is capped or uncapped um and then how many days after his cap, uh, you know, do you need to be on the ball for some reason till it emerges? All these, all these things like this help you uh, manage your colonies or, or problem solve and just be on top of things. So uh, uh, search for beekeeping math, find you a table that you like, print it out, put it out, you know, put it up on a refrigerator or something like that. And get familiar with that because that'll just be a, a good tool to learn when you're out there doing things. Uh, some of the rest is just fun to know, but um, eventually you'll you'll start learning more, and that's that's some of the fun I think is you you know when you first start you're just trying to learn you you're trying to get the basics down so you're just trying to keep everybody alive you're you're just trying to keep everything happening the way that it should happen but after a while you can get some enjoyment by actually understanding uh on another level how things are working how the bees communicate and all that and you'll see this by the way when you're in your hives and you're getting used to working with them and Maybe you're just trying to get over getting, uh, being scared of getting stung and all that, but eventually you'll relax 
and you'll be looking and you'll see a bee doing it on you know on a comb or on a, a frame that you're looking at and you'll look down and you'll see them doing something moving around acting funny and you'll say that's a waggle dance and you'll be able to see it and it's not just something that you saw on tv and that's always kind of exciting when you first first time you see it and as time goes on you'll pick up more and more and um okay so i think that's all we're going to do and i'm not sure what the next subject is it took me a took me longer than it should have to get this one out and i just could not find the time for various reasons but i'll try to not be so long on the next one and if you want to contact me i'm still working on the website but uh, there is a contact on there if nothing else <laughs> have contact but it's a uh, chat at artofbeekeeping.com all right that's it for today uh y'all take it easy and until next time all right take care